it's kind of like a scavenger hunt, you know? You come over here and you find a little clue and it tells you to do this one thing. So you don't know what the goal is. You really don't know the end or the finish line. You're just going over here to find the next clue. Just find the next little clue. Hello, everyone. Oh, it's so good to be back. I have to tell you, this was a longer break than I intended to take, but it was so necessary. And I'll tell you why. The first, I don't know if you'd call it a season, but the first, you know, 20 some episodes were about exploring the beautiful and true in people's lives. And these conversations, as as I know that you know, if you're listening, they were great. Uh, they were interesting and the people were were articulate and fun and inspiring and moving. And I loved all of it, but it felt, it always felt to me like an exploration and that I didn't quite know what this podcast was going to grow up to be. You know, I posted a while ago and said that I had done a new interview and was going to be posting. And I think that was like the beginning of February. And here we are in late March. So what happened is that I did, in fact, have an interview ready to go. And it was great. And it I'm going to have this guest on later. But what happened is that as as I was editing it, I was like, something is missing. And it's not him. He's wonderful. All of his answers are great. And you would have found them very interesting, dear listener. But there was still something missing. And I found myself going, ah, I don't, I don't know what this is. I don't, I don't know what this needs to be. And so for a little while, I thought about just not continuing at all. Like I felt like Maybe I had learned what I wanted to learn, which didn't feel right either. So I needed to sit with it for a minute. And in the in that space of time, I also um, had to say goodbye to my my dear companion cat. So there was a grieving process. And somehow through all of that, three weeks ago, maybe something just clicked. And I knew. I knew what this podcast was supposed to be. And now I'm going to tell you. From the beginning, it has always been my hypothesis that the beautiful and true in our lives help us to find purpose and meaning. But I didn't know how and I didn't know what that what that looked like. And I have been obsessed with, you know, what what is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of a life? of anyone's life? What is the purpose of the organizations that I'm involved with? What what is our reason for getting out of bed in the morning, our reason for doing what we do? And it, it occurred to me that that, more than anything else, is what this podcast wants to be. It wants to be an exploration of how people go about creating their lives. And my hypothesis is still that for people who are actively creating their lives, are involved in the building and the intentionality of a life, it is still my my hypothesis that 
by and large, it is the beautiful and true in them that is driving them toward that. So this isn't really like a reconfiguration of this podcast. It's more a focusing. So if you are still interested in the beautiful and true, and you are also interested in how people go about creating their lives, then this is going to be, this is, you're going to be very excited by what's coming. And you're going to be especially excited to hear from this week's guest. A little note on that before I get into Sarah Beth. I am going to try to put these out on a weekly basis. I am probably not going to make it. There will be at least two per month going forward, but I'm learning that doing this with this focus, the editing process takes longer. It takes longer to make sure that every episode is going to draw out the story of the, the building of purpose and meaning. So that being said, and you know, with the full-time job and other obligations and responsibilities, I am not sure that I'm going to be able to maintain a weekly schedule. But they will come out regularly, at least twice a month. I'm hoping to get to a rhythm where weekly works, uh, but just please bear with me on that. Each episode is going to be as good as I can possibly make it. And I, I hope I hope that you hear that and that you stick with me. So in this episode, oh, you guys, folks, friends, I am talking to the wonderful Sarah Beth Tanner. When I think about what I want to say about Sarah Beth, I have to I have to tell you that she is and has been from the moment I met her one of the most joyful, emotionally full, just rich human beings I've ever had the privilege of meeting. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you may have heard her. I did a solo episode where I put up a few things that are beautiful and true to me. And one of them was a couple of friends and I doing a rendition of Bright Morning Stars, a bluegrass or... I don't even know if you call it bluegrass. It's an Appalachian song. Beautiful, gorgeous. Uh, the Waylon Jennies do an amazing cover of it. You should totally listen to it. But if you listen to that and you heard that version, that is my friend Shannon Hunter Yeager, who comes up in this episode, as well as Sarah Beth Tanner, my guest today. Sarah Beth is, yes, she's a singer. She's a musical theater performer. She is an artist and an artisan, a glass blower. She's an entrepreneur, a baker, a chef. She is making a small name for herself in the culinary video world. And above all, she's just this, she's an extraordinary human being who is absolutely the epitome of somebody who is actively creating their life. And she has wonderful insight on how she goes about doing it and how others can find the courage and it's just, mm, it's so good. I can't wait. So I'm going to stop talking and I am going to introduce you to Sarah Beth Tanner. Yay! Here we are. So what's going on? 
tell me what's happening. QVC and I uh I saw this this video of outtakes of you from your cooking show. <laughs> yes, indeed. QVC went very well. Um, that is always uh, such an interesting and specific project. Um, they have lots of uh, requirements and special trainings that you go through to make sure that you are ready to go on air. Uh, and it's just- Have you done it before? I'd, I'd done it once before, but it was only a like a call-in interview. And okay. this time it was video. It was the whole deal. Um, and it went great. It was really fun. Uh, it's a little nerve wracking because it's live and you know, now it would be nerve wracking in person for sure. But, uh, the whole, I Skyped in. So having the technical side is always a stress. And then the, it's hard, you know, it can be difficult to banter virtually. <laughs> right. It really can be sometimes. It really can. Um, but the bloopers, the blooper reel was from, um, these videos that I do for my day job where I, um, I am the research and development chef, the creative development chef is my actual title, where I um, explain how to use a product for people. And uh, there are always lots of crazy bloopers just because I am, you know, a, 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 a zany person, I guess is a good word. Um, but this we this series of videos we shot the first week of January. And so we were just, um, we were doing the best we could to be distanced. We were masked and face shielded and all that. And I would take off my mask to do a take and then I would put it back on. Um, but we were shooting. First of all, we were all feeling a little uh, stir crazy to begin with. So the bloopers were already crazy. And then we were filming on January 6th. And we kept getting these text messages from people like, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're watching our democracy crumble and blah, blah, blah. So we're wow. freaking out, but we're also on this deadline. So we're trying to get it done. And everything was just, the emotion was just really heightened. Of and course. So we were, while we were getting things done, the, the, the bloopers were especially um, loaded. Is that the first bloopers reel that they've released? It is, but I have already been told there is a second one in the works. <laughs> well, I, and I don't blame them for that because it's incredibly charming and fun and um, you're an amazing spokesperson for them. Thank you. So this is for, so you are developing their products? Yes. Um, I So I have a, an ongoing part-time job with this company. They're called Urban Accents. They're a Chicago company. They've been around for about 25 years. I have been working for them uh, since 2017. And I do a lot of their cooking for uh, developing the products. So I'm part of the process of um, coming up with ideas for new products for their line. And then we also make lots of products for private label companies. So what, what kind of products are you making for them? Uh, for them, we do lots of seasoning blends and okay. simmer sauces. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, like little packets of seasoning that make this one dish extra special. And not only are we selling the seasoning in the pouch, the, the recipe on the back is the big deal. And it's designed to make, you know, to make making dinner much easier. Like, do you want to make the best turkey burger ever? Well, here's this, you just need two simple ingredients and 
Here's the recipe on the back. So I help develop the product and then also develop the package directions. It's super cool and fun. I was like, that's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you called it your day job a minute ago. It is my day job. Well, per, okay, for, uh, perhaps. And you're okay with them knowing that, right? With this being oh, yeah. public? <laughs> oh, well, that's the beautiful thing is that they are very supportive of the other parts of my life and career. Oh, and we will get to those. Okay. Um, <laughs> for sure. Because, oh God, I have so many things. Um, when I think of a day job, I think of something that you do just to pay the bills. Ah. Where you're not, you know, you're there, but your heart and your soul's not in it. And um, you're, you may be doing good work, but it's not, it's not feeding you. And this is clearly feeding you. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> I've had the kind of day job you're talking about. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. This, you're right. This definitely is not the um, traditional uh, meaning of, you know, like, oh, ho-hum day job. Uh, and I am very proud of that. I, I have worked very hard to integrate my, my, my life and my uh, artistic goals into my career in, mm -hmm. in every aspect so that I, I don't have a, a day job that I hate that, you know, d that I'm pouring myself into, but then I also come home or after work am pouring myself into my artistic ambitions. They, they feed one another. And I think if I were doing something that were not um, uh, enriching myself and my skill set outside of work, um, I, I doubt they would be as supportive of, of that. But one enriches the other. And I, yeah. I took it on purpose, for sure. It took a while to figure out to do that. And then it took a while to figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm proud to be at this phase in my life where it's, it feels a bit more integrated. So I'm very curious about this yes. um, because I'm pivoting the podcast slightly. Yeah. Um, it's still absolutely going to be about the beautiful and the true, but I want to talk about what it means to create a life. Mm. Yes. Um, and I want to talk to people who I think are doing that. And it doesn't have to be people who are uh, professional artists or professional creatives, it mm -hmm. can be anybody who is choosing and creating a life of purpose and meaning. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to coincide with the things that people find beautiful and true. That is still my, my working hypothesis um, in general. I think there are other things that that give purpose and meaning besides the beautiful and true. Sometimes it can be the, the, the very ugly that you're fighting against. Ooh, but yeah. even then, even then, I think that what you're really fighting for is something that is beautiful and true for you. Mm. And it just happens to be that something is opposing that. So this is why I'm super glad to talk to you. You are my first guest after this little pivot. And I think you're the perfect guest. So um, that's why it took me a little while to get back to you because I knew that something was was bubbling and, and sizzling and I needed it to- Ooh, Bubble and sizzle, baby. Give me, the, give me a cooking metaphor any day. So I, I, I think it's at least mostly cooked at this point. So would you- <laughs> Would you be willing to talk about the process? Because you said it was a long journey to figure out that you needed to do this to have a, a quote day job that also fulfilled you, but that it was a process getting there and figuring out figuring out that you had to get there and then how to do it. Would you mind yeah. talking a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I think that 
let's see, where to even begin? I know this is um, a tough question and I didn't prep you for it. No, that's okay. I, I'm happy to speak extemporaneously. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> um, well, I come from a long line of strong, creative women. Nice. Firstly, so I've got that in my corner in a way. Um, my dad is also has a um, an entrepreneurial bent, and okay, um, I have gotten lots of really good counsel over the years about how to live a a fulfilled life or the the you know the the thing that you're talking about this this career integration um and i think that i feel like if i'm going all the way back i have kind of been raised to do this and i think that's probably that differentiates me from a lot of people who have been told since they were a kid you need to get a good stable job and you need to do this that and yes yeah, you can't see this, listeners, but I just pointed to myself. That is my story. Yes, <laughs> yeah, you are uniquely, uniquely set up to do that from from childhood. You're not afraid of it, I think. Yeah, right. That, exactly. Because if you're if if you have come from a long line of artistic women and you have this entrepreneurial father, then at least that would teach you not to be afraid of trying yeah. it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And when I think back to being in high school and kind of think, uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life and, uh, major in, in college, which, you know, is not the only path by any means. Um, I, my, my family was very supportive when I said, I want to be a musical theater major and a studio art minor. <laughs> Bless. Bless indeed. Bless them. And they said, do it. Okay. Just in, Mm -hmm. They said, do it. In comparison, when I was in high school, uh, I was a junior, and I said I wanted to sign up for this theater camp. And it was two weeks. and It was the first time I'd ever really been away for that long. And later on, my mom, she's going to hate me for sharing this story. My mom told me that she had sent me there hoping that I would have a bad time. Oh. That I would be homesick and miserable and that it wouldn't be any fun and that it would convince me to be a lawyer. <laughs> I think that's what she really wanted for me because I, you know, I could have been. That was another path. Mm -hmm. That is a sliding door kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But no, you loved it. I did. <laughs> I had the best time. It was life-changing. Lou Hackelman of Indiana State University ran the best program for people in like who are like 17 and not sure what they were doing it was so gentle and so oh. fun oh that sounds great i want to go there now oh everybody should spend time <laughs> with lou hackelman honestly okay but this is not about me it's back to you you your parents were very supportive yeah so i think that was kind of the base that's the base of the story is that i i had a very um supportive and encouraging um early adulthood when it was time to like set, set a course, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't really have clarity around that. You know, I, I have a lot of friends, especially from college who had this very clear idea that they were going to go to this school for musical theater and they were going to move to New York city and they were going to be on Broadway. And they had this burning fire to do that. And mm -hmm. I, I knew that I didn't have this, very direct 
idea or a very clear cut idea of what my career was going to be. And so after I left school, uh, or after I finished school, I should say, um, I bounced around working for different theater companies here and there. I had, um, a, 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 a regular school year job with a, a youth theater in New York state that I loved that paid peanuts, you know, but it was, and it was difficult, difficult work. We'd get up at four forty-five in the morning to go dig our van out of the lake effect snow in New York state and then drive two and a half hours to the school where we had to do the show about the the, the Iroquois Confederacy and like the whole thing and then drive and then drive to another school and do it in the afternoon, then drive two and a half hours back and just be dead tired and have to go to rehearsal for the next show that was happening the next month. It was, it was wonderful. <laughs> um, I, I, love, I, love, I love that you ended that with wonderful. Oh, it was, it was marvelous, but I, you know, only some, how old were you? I, I was right out of college. So only someone right out of college, I think, would be would be able to do that job. We were like loading the set in from the van every single time. So we would get, dig the dig the van out, drive. And if if there was a blizzard in our town, but there was not a blizzard in the town where we were going, we still had to go. So we would go and we would load in the set and then do these workshop things and then do the show, load out the set, drive to the second school, load out the set, do the workshops and the shows, load in the set or load out the set and then drive home and then do it five mm-hmm. days a week. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that I did that. It sounds like a lot of fun. I wanted to do something like that mm. out, out of college. I thought I would thought that would have been amazing. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And I met amazing people that are still my friends yeah. to this day. Seriously. Well, of course. It was like you were in a war. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of. That's an experience that it's either going to bond you forever or you will hate each other for life. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Indeed. 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 Yeah. It's true. <laughs> uh, so that was during the school year. Then I had this summer job at a at a, at a um, outdoor drama where I would go and do these like historic dramas and these big musicals. And it was, it was great. And my family, I think at that point were like, Oh, she's, she's off doing the traveling actor thing. It's, it's, you know, it's what you do. And that's when I really got into food because I realized that if I'm going to work like this for, you know, maybe $300 a week, maybe, um, I got to figure out how to feed myself on a budget. I, you know, and I, I, I've always loved to eat and food. And I even like, when I really started to dig into it, I realized like, I, I used to love to cook when I was a kid and when I was a young teenager, but through high school and college, I really got too busy for it, quote unquote. Um, and then when I had to eat well on a budget, I figured out, oh, I, I, I should just cook. That's, you know, you start to make, you, you, you have to figure out something beyond like yogurt cups and beans and rice at some point, hopefully. Um, and I, that's what got me into reading mostly online at that point, but then some cookbooks and getting into food and cooking for myself. And that's when I found baking and I just loved baking so much. So between theater contracts, I needed a job. So I would 
kind of come and go at different restaurants and coffee shops. And I would work when I didn't have theater contracts. And um, mm-hmm. I I had every restaurant job there is at, in, at some point. I was a server. I was a host. I was a baker. I was a cook. I was a, you know, whatever. I did it all. Um, and I just learned that I, I loved to cook and loved, to, loved working with with food and in the food industry, but I did not want to work in restaurants. (laughs) And then I moved to Chicago in 2014. uh, And I, the first job that I had when I moved here, I was managing a coffee shop here called First Slice Pie Cafe. Everybody in Chicago should know First Slice. I just got pie from there. It's great pie. It's great pie. It actually passed, uh, my girlfriend is a pie snob. Ooh. She's very particular about her pies. And that's what she wanted for her birthday. So I brought her three slices. Ooh, different Different kinds. Oh, what did I get? I got um, Bailey's chocolate mint. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. And then I got a sour cherry. Oh, yes. Michigan sour Michigan cherry. Michigan sour cherry. That's, a, that's one of my favorites of theirs. And then I also got the balsamic... Raspberry. Thank you. Balsamic raspberry pear. Mm, yes. I love it was that one. Delicious. And it completely passed her test. Good. And she was doubtful. She's like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then I showed up. She's like, oh, yes, yes, this will work. I love the balsamic raspberry pear. I love the filling and it's kind of, um, it's like a gelatinous in a way. It's like mm-hmm. there's a lot of pectin in it. So it's really, it really congeals. And I love the crust on that one. I was just there the other day and I had the coconut pistachio cream pie. Woo! Amazing. Okay. So you're doing theater mm-hmm. and working every, every restaurant job there uh-huh. is. So I moved to Chicago and I, um, the, the, the low hanging fruit of the restaurant slash coffee shop jobs, I'm looking for anything. And this just, you know, I am, um, Ooh, I, I don't want to make this like declarative statement about my personal philosophy, but I think I'm going to, I don't necessarily believe that everything happens for a reason, but I do have a deep and I mean, deep appreciation for good timing. Mm-hmm. Bad timing, not so much. <laughs> so I'm not going to be like, oh, this was great for a reason. No. Uh, but good timing, like there are things that I feel like come to me at just the right moment and they are like on purpose for me in that moment. And my job at First Slice was one of those things. Um, and so I think that might be part of the idea of building a life that you, um, that is, uh, what's the word? What's the word that is? You said integrated. Integrated. I earlier. like integrated. Um, look for the signposts. Look for the big red flashing arrows that are like, go this way. I have found that when you follow those, things tend to be a little easier. <laughs> What what does a signpost look like for you? What is it? What does it feel like? What do you notice? Mm, oh, what a good question. Um, I okay. Let me let me let me let me let me think about this. Let me think. So, for me, it's usually something that I visualized before. It's usually something that I feel like I asked for in a way. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Um, I do. It's a, it's a prayer. It's a meditation. It's a visualization. It's a, a it's a technique for crafting a, a, a life that is um, creative. And I, I like the word integrated, but maybe, maybe not quite for this uh, moment. Yeah. It's a little cold. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A little, yeah. I, I do feel like I, I, I have kind of a physical reaction. Mm-hmm. It makes me like, Wiggy, what? <laughs> you want to, huh? I did say what? Um, it kind of makes me do a double take that it's, that it feels, it just feels like, you know, uh, sometimes I visualize this is getting real weird girl. <laughs> sometimes awesome. I visualize my life as like a, like a, like a, like a path through a flower garden. And I think of all of the beautiful blooms that are there and they are all to be enjoyed and appreciated. And every now and then I will come across one that is like extra sparkly, extra gorgeous, extra just for me. And I just know that it is like, that one's for me. (laughs) Like that's, that one's mine. And when I visualize that in that way, it helps me be gracious when I see other people with beautiful flowers as well. So when I think like, oh, that was that person's flower and I can see that and appreciate its beauty and like, wow, I am so happy for you that you got that flower because mine look like this. And that this one's for me. I know that's, that's weird. That's beautiful. It's, it's very it's no. visual. <laughs> I think it's really beautiful. And I was going to ask you if you had like advice for people as they were starting to thinking about creating a life mm. or trying to. And that's a for people who are who are drawn to visualization. Mm. That's lovely. And when you are trying to create a life and it's not going so well. Mm. And there are times there are, and I'm sure you've had times and I may ask you about that in a second, but when things aren't going so well and you see other people with their flowers, it can be devastatingly hard. Yeah. And I have never, I don't think I've ever felt jealousy or envy as deep as those times. Mm. So this is a beautiful visualization that, okay, this is their flower and yay. And this, the flowers that meant to, for me are just a little bit further along the path maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that, that like that, that, um, that, that flower is just not, it's not your flower. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I'm with you on the feeling that like deep envy. Um, and it, that, it, I don't know. I mean, it, it takes a while, I think, to kind of work through some of that because it does. It, it's that that is a difficult feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been there. Like, oh, that I felt like that role was mine, or I felt like that um, opportunity, or you know, any of those things. I had a an odd sensation when I I got to know uh, some touring actors, like they were on Broadway tours. But I was seeing them from an outside perspective, and it was so disorienting at first, because like that that life probably couldn't have been mine because I'm not a great singer, but a life like that could have been 
if I had made other choices or been a little braver. Uh huh. Yeah. So for a little while, that just that just ate at me. Mm. But what was interesting is that I think it fueled me to figure out what was what was a the, the flower for me. Yeah. So how have you handled it when it's happened to you? It's just this, the flower visualization. The flower visualization really has helped me. Um, and I like, I'm pretty sure that exact visualization came out of a, a deep envy moment. I was doing a show and was unable to audition for another show mm-hmm. that I felt like had one of my dream roles in it. And because I had already said yes to this one show, I couldn't even audition for the other one. And I think that that detail of the story is important because had I auditioned and not been chosen, I probably would not have been able to find the grace (laughs) to like see that as not mine. So Mm -hmm. I think that that's an important thing. And maybe that was the gift of, you know, whatever the universe that, that helped me find this visualization for the future. I was unable to audition for it. And, um, I, so I was able to say like, that really wasn't mine. I couldn't even audition for it, but I can really appreciate the, the person that got the role their interpretation of the role, their performance. Because I went to see the show, of course. They were great. That's wonderful. There's nothing worse than going to see a show where you really wanted a role and the person in it is not so good. Yeah. I think that's only happened to me once. And it's been so many years ago. I don't even remember what it was. But yeah, it's, it's really good when you're like, yes, that was your flower. Exactly. Well, and I think like... Yeah. And it was just really obvious to me that like, oh, this was because I when I realized that I couldn't audition and that I already had a commitment, I was really bummed for a while because I was like, damn it, maybe that was going to be the time I get to play this role because I'm starting, you know, like all of the like I'm starting to get too old for it and it's never going to come back around and somebody already did it in Chicago. So nobody's going to do it for a couple of years and I might be too old by then and blah, 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 whatever. All the shit you say in your head. And when I saw it, I just remember being like, oh, no, that was your flower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was your flower. So, yeah, I, I think that was I'm so happy that I uh, was able to kind of take that nugget of of inspiration and and um, wisdom into the future because I can use that technique from from here on out. This is this is nothing new, but it's fascinating to me how often disappointment and what we think of as failure Mm. sometimes feed the growth that we need for whatever's coming next if we allow it to Mm -hmm. yeah i was reading a wonderful book um it's called the rise by dr sarah lewis Mm. it talks quite a bit about failure and how it's really only failure if you can't reframe it into more of an experimental way mm-hmm. so that if your life is an experiment, then a failure is just one more, one more point on the path. I'm writing that down. The rise by Sarah Lewis. I am bungling what, what she was talking about. She told, Oh, she told this great story um, about a, 
a woman, I hope I'm getting this right, and I'm, I've been reading a lot lately, so it, around this theme, um, <laughs> but she's telling the story of a woman who was a great success in her field, but every day she would come home from school and her father would sit the, all the kids down and ask them what they failed at that day. Ooh. Not like, what are your successes? What's the, tell me the good things that happened today. Every day he would, over dinner, he would ask them, what did you fail at today? And they got comfortable expressing the ways that they weren't perfect, mm -hmm. the ways that things went wrong. And then they would talk through, well, what, what do you take away from that? And so they, they learned how to process that and to grow from it. Mm. And I think that might be the greatest gift, that and a sense of being loved. Yes, absolutely. I think that is so much more important or pertinent to a, a life that feels fulfilled and um, is working through those moments. Because when you did it right, when you did great, that's the easy shit. That's when it's like everybody loves you. You feel awesome. You get the awards. Like that's the easy. That's easy. It's where when you when you kind of screwed it up and you have to learn something and you have to admit that you weren't perfect and that you have to admit it out loud. Yeah, that's that that's where the hard stuff is. But that's the that's what prepares you for the good stuff and also what tempers the good stuff and helps you understand that. Just because you you did it right this time doesn't mean that you're, you know, the best in the world and, and deserve every opportunity. And it, it keeps you, you know, just kind of it, it grounded, you have to, grounded. You have to have both. So what you're talking about is a truth. You know, this is still the beautiful and true podcast. Yeah. But and what you're talking about here is a truth, which uh -huh. uh, my, my working definition is of, of truth is that which grounds us. Mm. Failure. But only if you're willing to confront it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not, I think you can define it, like you were talking about the things that you really screwed up. <laughs> I find those actually, they're, they're hard and they're horrible. And I'm like, no, that was, I screwed that pooch. That was, <laughs> that was all me. Mm -hmm. um, the times I find it more difficult are the times that I know that I've just been kind of mediocre. Hmm. You know, like it's okay. It's passable. It's good enough. Mm -hmm. Confronting mediocrity has been, a, hmm. it's been a journey for me. Interesting. I find that so fascinating because while I understand the idea of feeling like if you royally screwed up, at least you did, you made like a bold thing or you did something like you really went out on a limb and you really screwed something up. But a yeah. mediocrity means you're just kind of like, eh, maybe, I don't know. But I, I feel like the mediocrity thing is so relative. That is true. And that maybe that's where you might be beating yourself up over something that really was was good, was fine, was uh, not just passable, but like actually good. And you might just be beating yourself up, uh, yourself up, up over it. Well, and that's a fine line. 
when you're talking about any kind of creative endeavor. Mm-hmm. Or, and I don't just mean artistic, um, I'm talking about relationships, which I believe are creative endeavors. And I was about to say interpersonally, I think that that's where I identify with what you mean interpersonally, because I tend to, I can be kind of stubborn. <laughs> what? No, no definitely. Um, <laughs> I, yes, ask my partner. I can be very stubborn. I'm almost the opposite of you when it comes to the relationship. Like I have to be very mindful of when I'm like doubling down on something that I just really should be like, oh yeah, that was kind of shitty. <laughs> or like I was media, I was a mediocre, you know, conversationalist or partner or whatever in that moment, instead of being like, no, that's what I meant. You know? Well, that's hard too. Yeah. We got, because then you have to be super aware in the moment. And some days that's easier, some moments that's easier, some some pandemics that's easier. <laughs> some pandemics. Oh, God, please oh God. don't let there be more than this. Not in our lifetime, at least. Yes. Well, I want to finish out this story. Based on this story, we know that you are a theater person mm-hmm. and a chef mm-hmm. and You mentioned in the very beginning of your story, when you're talking about college, that you had a minor in studio art, studio art. So I also know you as a glassblower. Yeah. Is that the studio art that you were studying? Yes. What, uh, tell me about that. Um, I was always a craftsy kid. I would make jewelry when I was in high school. And um, I have this aunt who I think of as my third parent who has a dear friend who is a glass artist. And um, she was also making some jewelry, but she was mostly making fused glass art. And I remember in high school um, showing her very proudly some of my stuff. And she said, like, this is really good. It's obvious that you're buying all of your stuff at Joann's because you're buying all your stuff at Joann's. So what if you made your own materials? Like then you could actually like really make something unique and interesting. And uh, I was like, yeah, okay. So um, I think it was my junior year of college. I had kind of gotten fed up with the theater department. I'd, you know, as any 19 year old does, it's like, they're working us too hard. I'm going to change my major. So I did for about 10 minutes and (laughs) I changed it um, to studio art and ended up um, graduating with like two credits short of a minor. So Birmingham Southern, don't come after me. I don't have a minor, but I took most of the credits for studio art minor. And um, in the, I I studied glass as my medium in that. And I did um, like a kind of a, a very, very, brief apprenticeship with a glass artist, um, who was another friend of my aunt's. And she taught me the, um, the basics of glass bead making with a a table mounted torch. And so I was making beads to make jewelry. And then, um, after college, I, uh, kind of in between theater and food gigs, I know it's like a, a multifaceted timeline. Um, I was working for, uh, my aunt's friend whose name Elizabeth Robinson. She's amazing. She's an incredible glass artist in Mississippi. Um, I would, uh, help her with production. So she has these like collectible pieces. And so I would go and help her make those and, 
you know, just keep the studio clean basically and do a lot of the glass cutting and organizing and cleaning. And um, there's just so many touch points for each little collectible piece that has to be grinded and um, fired and then ground again and then fired again. And then anyway, you have to do, it's just, it's very labor intensive. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would go and help her in her busy seasons before the holidays and then before the big spring craft shows. Um, When I moved to Chicago, I, uh, in addition to working for First Slice, I um, was uh, freelancing as an instructor at the Little Street Arts Center in their glass department. They no longer have a glass department, which is super sad. But I was teaching um, lamp working and then fused glass work. Fused glass is where you cut the colorful sheets of glass, transparent and opaque, and layer them in different ways and then put them into a kiln. Mm-hmm. They, they You can make bowls and plates and, and all kinds of sculptural elements. Um, and then uh, when I left First Slice, so I knew that I was not, uh, that I had kind of like gotten... Um, to a point in my life where I did not want to be doing that. It had totally taken over my life, my job at First Slice. I had uh, I started managing one cafe, and then I ended up managing all four cafes. And then I was doing all of the hiring and training for all four, and I was also managing all of the catering. And oh, wow. it just was taking over all of my life. Um, as, as, as often I think people who, and you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I was good at my job, as people who are good at their job, <laughs> They just, they're like, oh, well, she can do it. She can do it. She's good at the, she she can take it. It Just total, like I was not um, doing theater. I was not doing glass. I was just not doing the things that I wanted to do. And I could feel that weight on me so heavily. So um, I had this like holiday season where I had this opportunity to teach a long string of glass workshops. And I was like, Mm -hmm. that's my off ramp. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to leave my day job and I'm just going to see what happens. I'm going to look around. I had gone down to the, to West town in Chicago and, um, seen a, a program at ignite glass studio, uh, which is a glass blowing studio. Um, that has this incredible not-for-profit that does glass art with Chicago's young people. And I was like, I'm going to work there. That's what I'm going to do. And I did. So they offered me a job to teach. And then I was teaching at Little Street. So I kind of, glass was kind of my bridge, has has filled in the gaps for me throughout my career. And um, I started teaching there and um, kind of you know, worked my way up through there. And then I was doing, I was like development and director of development and program expansion or something like that. I don't know, education director, something like that. I can't remember what my title was, (laughs) but I just remember being like, okay, I have somebody else's dream job. This is not my dream job. I do not want to be here. (laughs) That what an amazing way to put that. It's almost like you, you knew that you had somebody else's flower. Exactly. Exactly. This is great. This is very pretty. This is somebody, this is for somebody else. This is for somebody else. This is not for me. Oh, that's such a beautiful way to think about it. (laughs) Um, And so generous. Like like it's a, that is an extremely generous way to think about it. Hmm. Yeah. It was also, I think it was also my way of framing it when I left to like help the people that I had, 
you know, I had built this program with them and they were really relying on me to like continue growing it and running it. And I was like, I have to go. And I think, and, and, and you need to find the right person for this job. Like you, you need to find someone who really feels like this is their dream job because it is so much work. Anything less will not do the trick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and I, I hope they found that. I don't, I don't know that they did, but, um, anywho, also within this timeline, when I left first slice, I was just like casting a wide net. So I'm cruising Craigslist. I'm just looking for anything that's going to pay me money because my, my off ramp was quite short. (laughs) (laughs) So here's one of those, um, good timing things that I was talking about how much I believe in. Um, I answered a Craigslist ad for a temporary replacement for a woman who was going on maternity leave for my current day job. Okay. So Urban Accents, who I was just on QVC with, I've been working for them since 2017. I see this, this, and I found them because I was looking for things within a two mile radius of my house. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, I am not trying to ride the train every day. I know I don't want to do that. Um, and I don't want a day job. So I'm looking for like food, but also I don't want to work in a restaurant, but also I want it to be within two miles of my house. Oh and my goodness. Urban accents is just down the road on Ravenswood. And just at that right moment, and I'm sure they had hundreds of applications, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's Craigslist. So they, you know, see my resume, they pluck me out, they ask me for um, an interview, and I go in. And um, what they really needed at the time was just somebody to like, cook for them for their development. So they were going to like, tell me what they, they were going to hand me recipes that they had basically said, okay, we need you to test these five seasonings on chicken breast and just have it ready and let us know when it's ready so we can all come taste it and decide what we want. And like, they just wanted some kitchen grunt work. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, I can do that. So I did that. And then after a couple of months, the woman who went on a maternity leave was like, peace, I'm out. I'm never coming back. (laughs) (laughs) And because I this is not there. my flower. This is not my flower. This baby is my flower now. I so have a new flower. I'm out. Um, so I was like, okay, yeah, I'll stick around. So I was doing that part-time and I was teaching for the glass studio part-time. And then I started doing less food and more glass because they were like, we like you. We're going to hire you this full-time position. And that's when I was like, you know, actually after a couple of months, I just, this is not for me. I do not want to do this because it had taken over my whole life again. Mm -hmm. And it occurred to me, I realized in that moment that I was just spinning way too many plates. I was spinning the food plate. I was spinning the theater plate because I was still auditioning and doing shows. Um, I was spinning the glass plate and I was like trying to do this. And I realized that, and it was this like slow realization, I think it wasn't this aha moment that I, that of the three plates I was spinning, the two that were, um, actually going to work together the best were the food and the theater. And the Mm -hmm. theater was like always the non-negotiable, the food and the glass were to support the theater. So like the theater is the thing, like that's where I, that's, that's my favorite thing in the world. Everything comes after that. Um, 
And I realized like the food is easier. It pays better. <laughs> it doesn't like it's in, this is in, in the context of this job at the time, the part-time version, or I guess I'm still part-time, but anyway, the early version of this job and it's close to home. I don't have to drive to West town. I have to do all that. And the glass, I realized like, I don't have a huge passion for this medium. It's a huge environmental waste. Like it's really not environmentally friendly. I'm never going to be able, not never, but I don't have at all a passion for starting my own business around glass because mm -hmm. it has a huge startup cost, huge shipping. Like it's just, and I was like, I don't have a passion for this. And as soon as I said that to myself, I realized that I could let it go without a second thought. And I did. So in 2017, excuse me, in 2019, I went what I call full part-time <laughs> with Urban Accents. And I've been with them ever since. And then I've been growing the theater stuff. That's when I like really doubled down on my theater stuff. And that was 2019. So of course, 2020 was oh. like... <laughs> I had some really great stuff lined up for 2020 that all, you know, went, went away. Um, although one show, and I think I can talk about it is, um, still on the horizon. And I think it's going to happen late summer. Um, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Um, I am going to be playing Patsy Cline in always Patsy Cline yes! at the William street repertory theater in crystal Lake. Um, and oh. it was supposed to happen last July, August, but I think it's going to happen this fall, but who knows? There are. Oh, no how fun. I can't wait to see you in that. That'll ah, be. Thank you. That'll be phenomenal. That'll and be I really, really hope that we're all like vaccinated and can start doing this again. <sighs> Me too. Oh, yeah. there is light at the end of the tunnel. It is so close. I can just, I'm so ready I'd, I have this like cookbook project that I'm working on with a friend who owns a coffee shop in Alaska where I used to work. And we are like talking about maybe doing a cookbook. So I'm, I have this like, Ooh, maybe sort of kind of dream. Like maybe it might work to go to Alaska in August. Um, oh. and it would mean, you know, it would need to mean that like everybody in Alaska is, is the first state. I don't know if you saw this, is the first state, I think it was yesterday, the day before yesterday, they started vaccinating everybody. Anybody, wow. Any citizen is available. I mean, they have a very small population. Sure. Um, but uh, so like, you know, if, if we have reached critical vaccination mass by August, I'm going to Alaska, baby. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be good. I'm going to go and like develop recipes and take pictures and food style and write a friggin' cookbook, baby. <laughs> I can't wait. That sounds wonderful. Doesn't it? Oh, it's it does. Oh, so good. Oh. I want to pivot just a moment. Sure. Because now we're talking a little bit more about theater. Mm. And I want to know what is it about theater that makes it the one? Ooh. The thing. I'm making an assumption here, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that there are that there is something profoundly beautiful and true mm. about theater for you. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is both of those things. Um, I, I enjoy being an audience member so, so, so much. And I think that 
ever since I was a kid, seeing theater made me feel in big, big ways. And I knew that I could do that for other people. It's, it was almost like it was a way to, um, uh, fulfill myself, but then also be of service to someone else. Because if I could make, if I could do what the other, if the people on the stage that I saw, if I, if I knew I could do that, I needed to do that for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is just a, oh, I don't even know how to explain it. <laughs> the, the feeling of being in a moment with an audience as an actor or with an actor as an audience member. Um, you know, I love movies. I love television. I love screened entertainment, filmed entertainment. I'm all about it. Um, it has never been my medium. I shouldn't say that. It has been my medium, especially when it comes to culinary. I have really found a love for on-camera culinary work and am leaning into it heavily in this phase of my career. But there is this special connection, chemistry, alchemy that happens between a live audience and a live actor. There is a tension and a not a, I mean, it, fear is, 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 is close there. You know, there's a fear that it could go wrong. There, there is a, the, the tightrope act. There is the, um, like it's happening in real time, you know, a movie it's like, it's, it's just going to play to the end and you're done. The other thing about theater and let me, this kind of, um, is a different idea about, it's less about the performance aspect and more about the, fly on the wall aspect theater puts people in rooms that they might not normally be in Ooh. and expands their experience to include the experience of people who they may not know well they hmm. can take them into places that are of a higher station of a lower station uh, in, you know, society, you know, whatever station, um, it, it can, it can just, it can put people in the room in conversations that they would normally never hear. And I think that that is an expanding and extremely important part of cultivating an empathy for all people. And I think that that, that tool for, Growing the empathy in our culture is invaluable. Mm-hmm. There does seem to be a, a lack of it mm. in our culture right now. So mm-hmm. I'm curious about, because I'm thinking, I was thinking about movies and I um, I recently watched One Night in Miami. Oh yeah, I've not seen it. Oh, it's, it's great. And it was a play to begin with. Mm. So you're talking about being in the room mm-hmm. and- that is the entire the entire movie. You're more or less in this one room with these four men. Um, but as you were talking, I was thinking, yes, but I was always removed. I was always, I always knew I was sitting on a couch. I always knew that I was eating my popcorn. I uh-huh. always knew that. You could hit pause and go to the bathroom. 
I could, I could if I wanted to. I don't think we did, yeah. but but there is a different feeling of being in the in a theatrical audience where you are transported. Mm-hmm. You sometimes forget that you are sitting in a theater surrounded by people. Yes. It's it's a it's a very different thing. Do you have any insight as to why that happens or what that is? Oh, I mean, it is the electricity. I mean, this is where the art kind of meets the science. You're breathing the same air. You're you're in the same moment. Like you are in the same physical space. And this is one of the things that I have, oh, I'm going to cry already, that I miss so much about music with other people. There is something so... Um, uh, what's the, I mean, I don't want to say cathartic, but like there's something that will just reach you when you are listening to live music or when you're listening to a choir sing, the actual physical sound vibrations that move through your body are going to affect you. Mm -hmm. And it is that same, it is, it's like when some, like, I saw, I I was so fortunate. Our friend Shannon worked for this music school here in Chicago and she had these like, this ability to get these tickets to this like community only thing where it was this one-on-one interview with one of my absolute favorite musicians, Jason Isbell. Have you heard of him? The name sounds familiar, but I'm not, I don't, I don't know his work. He's this incredible Americana singer, singer songwriter. Some people might call it country, but it's not country. It is. Americana singer songwriter and he is amazing. His imagery is amazing. His voice is amazing. His guitar playing is out of this world. (laughs) So here's this one-on-one and he had a guitar beside him and every now then acoustic guitar and every now and then he'd just pick up the acoustic guitar and just play. And it was the, the interview was in this tiny little room. I had seen him play several times, but it was in this huge concert hall And he was playing the electric guitar and it was coming through the amps and it was amazing. But when he played the acoustic guitar sitting very near to me, like it was like your fingers are making the vibrations that are going to my ear holes and I am having a spiritual moment. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there is something about that immediacy when you see the spit coming out of the actor's mouth. There is an emotional connection. There is a physical connection. There is a, a, dare I say, a spiritual connection. In the room, all having this experience together. And then also, and this happens in, I mean, I keep saying this happens in movies, but it's not the same when you've got a person, uh, people on stage telling the story and living this moment and you're watching them and all of the people in the audience are also, you know, like having the same moments as you. Mm-hmm. It's a communion with the performers. It's a communion with your audience members. It is the energy in the room. Mm-hmm. You do not get that anywhere else. You do not get that anywhere else. And it is transformative transformative or it can be transformative for everybody. That was beautiful. The other thing, this is, this is maybe less like um, precious about theater. One of the things that I love about theater is that it is, I, I feel like it is the all encompassing art form because you need it. It's a team sport. Okay. You need, you need people who are visual artists. You need people who are, um, performing artists. You need people who are 
sculptural artists. You need people who are development and outreach artists. You need people like- You need people who are managing artists because management is an art as well, I think. 100%. It's certainly an act of creativity. Oh, yeah. And it is this collaborative Mm -hmm. thing. And I'm not just talking about the actors and directors. I'm talking about the entire team. Yeah. And it, it is- it is this human experience that requires so much from everyone and that if one person isn't doing their thing, it, the magic might not be there. So it, I, I love that aspect of theater too, is that it takes, it, it's everything. It, it's all the art forms all together. Yeah, especially when you add music in. Yes, yes. There's nothing I love more than a play that's scored. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, it's just like, oh, thank you. Thank it, you. It does. It, it, for those of us who just love a good storytelling moment, it just, it feels like a warm blanket when you've just got every sense mm-hmm. telling the story. You know, I saw a play, um, it was off-Broadway. It was actually a Chicago company that had gone to off-Broadway. It was The Hypocrites. And they did a production of uh, Our Town. It's a pretty famous, pro- I mean, you know, relatively regional theater, whatever, off-Broadway famous production yeah. of um, Our Town. And it was this, you know, it was an incredible production. It was an incredible production all the way through. But at the very end, the very end, the last few minutes when the main character dies right. and then it goes back and gets to relive a day in her life. So the entire production, it was, uh, 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 oh shoot, Cromer. What's his first name? Can't remember. Anyway, Cromer, director. Michael? Anyway, I can't remember his name. So the whole production had been very like austere, no props, very simple, like white costumes, lots of like pantomime, very washed out colors, just very simple. And you you get so used to it that you don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just get so used to like the format of the storytelling. And at the end, when she goes back and gets to relive her day on earth, this curtain on the back of the set that you didn't even notice before sweeps open and behind the curtain are these rich, vibrant colors. And Emily's mother is frying bacon in the kitchen. So you and get she's the smell. Whole costume and you get the smell. Oh. And because the, the curtain had been closed, you didn't smell it before, but when it whooshed open, bacon comes flying at, you know, the smell and like the colors and every, like it's ultra hyper realistic after this very like austere storytelling. And it was, so friggin' powerful. I just burst into tears, just immediately oh. started sobbing because it was every sense was the story was being told. And it was the most beautiful. It was one of the most beautiful theatrical moments I have ever experienced. Dear listener, I wish you could have seen Sarah Beth in that moment because her whole body <laughs> was in motion when she was telling the story and she was she completely lit from within. And that is... <laughs> That's the power of live, mm. of live performance. There's something that lives in us differently for yes. those live performances. And I will just, I will never forget that moment ever. Yeah. The question I was going to ask you. Mm-hmm. 
it seems to me from the story that you're telling, and this again that I'm trying to to get to get at how people create create their lives. Mm. And I think they're going to be different. All all kinds of people are going to have all kinds of different stories. And I'm I'm curious to hear hear how people go about creating a life. For you, and please tell me if I'm getting this wrong. It sounds like it it sounds like there were there were moments in your life that kind of glowed, and you yeah. followed them. Yeah. I'm not talking like ooh shiny because that's something different, but there was followed your instinct. And maybe it's the flower. Maybe you could see, going back to this visualization of the flower, you could just see that, it, oh, there it is. That's your flower. Mm-hmm. And you had the courage and the gumption to go for it. Yeah. Does that sound? Yeah. Yeah. It, it does. That definitely resonates. I think that I I was very fortunate to have a, a family that really supported ported those instincts mm-hmm. instead of steering me away from them. So there's that, like I was saying before, but I think also, um, it was about 2016. It was right as I was leaving my job at first slice that I had realized that I had been working for that company for about three years going on four years. And I hadn't really been, um, intentionally crafting my next steps. I had just kind of been floating. Mm -hmm. And so I started a practice. I think it was in 2017. I started a journaling practice where I would just like make a mark after two pages. um, And I would just be like, I have to write to here. And that is where a lot of my visualization comes into play. And when I was saying like those, those big bright shining, like uh, signposts mm-hmm. when I, I know them because I'd visualized them before. A lot of that comes from the journaling practice. Directing oh, I'm sorry. That to begin with. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I have a question about the signposts. When sure. you say the signposts are, had you specifically visualized what end up, what ended up happening or had no. you visualized a, a, a way of feeling and a, a direction you wanted to go? And then a signpost popped up and said that direction. And you're like, ah, Yes. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think it's a little bit of both in a way. Like you kind of know it when you see it and you see it when you know it. I mean, that's such a roundabout way of being like, who knows? Um, but, you know, like you you start to see those 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 paths through the through the woods or whatever once you start looking for them. Through the garden. Through the garden, yes. Um and, um, but I think it, it really is an intuitive practice and, you know, that, that voice, that intuitive voice, you just have to really practice turning that knob up. You just really yeah. have, and when you don't, it, it gets louder when you practice and it, and it gets lower when you don't. Yeah. And it's easier and easier to not listen to it. And I think a lot of it is giving yourself permission to hear it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I think a lot of times, and I do this myself, I'm not even saying, you know, I'm not saying, oh, some people do this. I do this a lot. Like I hear it, but I don't heed it. Um, And one of the things that I, you know, try to um, meditate on it and, and journal about is like 
hearing that intuition and heeding the intuition. And sometimes it's like a stack of bricks, you know, that drops right on your head and like, you don't have a choice. And that's usually when you haven't been listening, listening. Mm-hmm. so loud that it's like, no, 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 no. Um, and if, if you had been listening to the, no, I don't think so's, you wouldn't have gotten to that big point. <laughs> <laughs> to the big pile of bricks dropping yeah. on your head. Yeah. 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 I, I, I actually agree with you a hundred percent. That has definitely happened in my own life. <laughs> But I I have make a practice of when I hear it, I heed it and I mm. I and I go in that direction. Um, I often don't know why, sure, or what it's going to where it's going to lead, but it has never led me astray. Yeah, it's always led to good things. Yeah, and I think that's 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 difficult to not know why or what the end result is going to be. Yeah. Um, and it to is just kind of, it is like, it, I mean, it's a stepping out on faith and especially when it has, you know, I mean, it could be about what you're going to eat for lunch, but it could be about like leaving your job, leaving your partner, leave, you know, it could be huge life decisions or saying yes to your partner or saying yeah. yes to a job. 100%, 100%. Because saying yes can be as scary as saying no. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. Do you have any thoughts? I, I I mean, I could talk to you for hours. I'm sorry. We're now like an hour and a half. Do you need to go? Do you need to eat dinner? I do want to eat dinner at some point soon. So, but we've, we've got a few more minutes. Okay. Um, uh, one more question. Okay. Thought, given this, given this, what we're talking about thoughts on courage, mm. like it takes, it, it takes courage to do this. Would you have any words of advice for someone who may be heeding something, but is really, really scared? How, how does one muster one's courage? Um, well, even just going back to what I was saying before about feeling so fortunate to have the, the um, support of my people, find the people who support you. I think having that community is going to give you a lot of courage and having people that believe in you and love you and tell that surround yourself with people who are going to be like, hell yeah, you can do that. Yeah. Yeah, You should definitely try that out. Um, you know, there are going to be, there are always going to be people in your life that are like, meh, that are naysayers. But sometimes if you, if you don't, if you're not lucky, (laughs) I know I got lucky to have parents that, that helped, but like, if, if you didn't get lucky with that, find them. Good advice. Uh, I think also like figure out the baby step. It doesn't all have to be some huge deal. Figure out a way to try it on. Whatever it is you're you're trying to muster up your courage for, a small step is going to be much more comfortable to try out. You know, figure out how to try it temporarily. One small project, just try it on. Yeah, I think one of the things that I have been thinking about and working toward for myself is like a done is better than perfect. Yes. I am going through this program right now with um, a woman named Amy Jo Martin. It's, It's a business accelerator and it's for women entrepreneurs. And I got this incredible scholarship and that's one of her mantras. And it, we have all this homework to do during this program. And she just keeps saying, you done is better than perfect. So just try it. 
do whatever you have to do to lower the stakes for yourself for the first couple of tries. And one step is going to lead to the next step. And just, you don't have to know where the road is going to lead. Just take the first step and then you will find that it gets easier and easier and easier. Oh, I love it. And it, it flows entirely with this book I'm reading right now, which is this, it's this beautiful fantasy book called The Rhythm of War. It's the fourth in a series. But the point is that one of the, one of the characters is, is trying to grapple with the question, what is the most important step a person can take? And at first, at first, his answer was the first step. Uh-huh. And then later he comes to this realization, no, it's the next one. Yeah. The next step is always the most important step a person can take. And what you're describing is yes. take the, just take, or, or to put a different way, do the next right thing. Yes, totally, totally. And it's, it's kind of like a scavenger hunt, you know? You come over here and you find a little clue and it tells you to do this one thing. And then, and so you don't know what the goal is. You really don't know the end or the finish line. You're just going over here to find the next clue. Just yep. find the next little clue. Just find the next clue and do whatever it says. Yep. <laughs> oh, this has been delightful. Very quickly, you sent me this wonderful picture of some pastries. Ooh. And it's been a while. Do you remember that picture? Yes, I do. <laughs> Will you tell me a little bit about... So I asked you, like I do everybody, I asked you to send a picture that is that represents something that is beautiful and true for you. Mm-hmm. Why did you send me that picture? Uh, especially when you asked for it. <laughs> I know it's been a while. Like, you know, elbows deep in uh, cooking classes. And I'm still doing that. Um, I, so I was uh, getting my virtual cooking classes off the ground and now they're rolling and I'm happy about that. Um, That particular photo is of um, a pastry called a galette. And it is a pastry dough folded around fruit and Mm -hmm. baked. And I they're just gorgeous. They're this like rustic, beautiful. They just really just make you want to just shove it in your face. I could smell them from the picture. Oh, they smell so good too. Um, it was an aspirational thing for me. I, I started with this one class buttermilk biscuits, which I love. I've been ma- making biscuits my whole life, but these were like, oh, this was kind of a stretch for me. And I was so proud of them when I simplified the, I I originally, like I built a new recipe for the class because I wanted it to be super accessible for new bakers and also have something to learn for seasoned bakers. And they were just so gorgeous. And so I, I was just so proud of them and also just so delighted that I had done what we have been talking about of just like, just try it. Just step into it once and see how it goes. And that had built. And I now teach people virtually in my classes how to make those. And it's just, it's the most rewarding thing for me, for them. And I see these beautiful pictures of what people make and they share their recipes later with their families. And they send me pictures of you know, weeks later that they're, they're like, Oh, I made this for my, for my friends who, you know, just had a baby and I dropped it off. I just like, Oh, that is the most rewarding thing. And I just, I, especially when you ask for a photo, I was just so deep, deep in the middle of that world and so proud of those and just feeling so grateful that, that this is my job right now. And that I get to share that with people. 
I love it. And I love that you shared with me something that you were really proud of. Because yeah. so often, I mean, especially, I know you're from Mississippi. I doubt that it's different in the South. <laughs> but in the Midwest, at least, we are almost required to not be proud of things. Mm. And certainly to not talk about them or share them. And so yeah. it always, it touches my heart to no end when people are willing to share things that, that they are really proud of. Oh, yeah. And especially something that reached people yeah. like that. It's, I can share plenty of stuff I'm not proud of, but I'm happy to share when I am. <laughs> well, this is the Beautiful and True podcast, so we're not going to share things that you're not <laughs> proud of unless unless there's a truth that can be gleaned from. <laughs> Always. Always. Oh, my God. Sarah Beth, this was so delightful. Oh. I, I, we talked so much longer than I intended. And thank you for that and for your generosity of, of your time. And it is always a delight to see you and be around you, even through a screen. Oh, it was it was my pleasure. Thank Yay. you so much for the invitation. I so enjoyed it. And I'm just going to be like... Uh, as, when we started our conversation and I was reflecting on my feelings about the the pandemic anniversary, um, I kind of feel like we flipped it on its head a little bit. I'm going to feel really good for the rest of the night. Isn't she a delight? Oh my goodness, Sarah Beth Tanner, everyone. I can't thank her enough for taking the time. And she took much more time than I intended I was so generous. Uh, we were supposed to talk for about an hour. We talked for almost two. It's just wonderful human being, and I'm so glad you got to meet her. If you are interested in learning more about Sarah Beth or more about her cooking classes, you can go to her website. It is sbtcooks.com. That's like Sarah Beth Tanner, sbtcooks.com. Or you can check out her Instagram. She's at sbtcooks. So check out her website. Sign up for one of her cooking classes. You won't regret it. Speaking of classes, the Beautiful and True podcast has its first sponsor. Very excited about this. And my intention, at least for quite some time, is to only send to you people that I know and trust and I'm excited about. So this is Rachel Angus Fitness. I have been training with Rachel for... Mm, a little over six months now and I love it we do two two sessions a week privately and she pushes me and is also really fun and energizing and I always look forward to it even when I don't because let's face it working out is hard she makes it well not easy but really really enjoyable and I have to tell you I look and feel better than I have in years. And that's much, much, much to do with her. So she offers virtual personal training. So for those of you who still aren't in the gym or are a little nervous about personal training, you can do it from your home. If you don't have equipment, she can work around that. She also offers virtual classes. She offers a HIT class and a ripped class and an abs class, and they are phenomenal. They are not easy. You will get a workout and you will feel great at the end. Anybody who's interested in finding out more, you can go to rachelangusfitness.com. That's R-A-C-H-A-E-L, Rachel, Angus, A-N-G-U-S, like the steak, fitness.com. And you can sign up. And any listener who does, if you use the code 
BEAUTIFUL20, you'll get 20% off any service. That's personal training or a class package. I highly recommend it. I'm excited. I can't wait. I'm hoping she's going to be a guest. I think she's going to be a guest in the next few weeks. So you'll be hearing from her in more detail because she is somebody who is using her passion for movement and fitness to help her create her own life. It's a, it's phenomenal. So that's it. RachelAngusFitness.com. Use the code BEAUTIFUL20 to get 20% off any service. I hope you enjoyed the new format. I hope you enjoyed the new focus. I intend to continue on with this. It's, it's giving me life, as the kids say. And I hope it does for you too. While I always hope that this inspires you to look for the beautiful and true in your life, I hope even more that you are getting inspiration and encouragement to help create a life that feels purposeful and meaningful and rich to you. I wish you all the best. I'll talk to you soon.